Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, uh, I'm bringing you what I believe is going to be a cool but uh, a bit unique episode. Um, often we are interviewing performers or uh, teachers uh, that are involved with music and uh, often the orchestral field. Um, but my guest recently won uh, a job with uh, the Pittsburgh Symphony, but as assistant librarian. And so this is a very integral part of uh, how an orchestra functions. And so I thought, uh, not only is it cool that he reached out to me, but that he thought, uh, I thought it would be cool for everybody to kind of hear what that process is like and the importance of an orchestral librarian to the whole uh, thing functioning and stuff. So my guest today is Grant Johnson. And so first, thank you for being here. I appreciate you being willing to talk to me and my audience. Of course. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I think we'll start with... Um, like we were talking before, I don't think anybody necessarily sets out at like eight years old to be like, I want to be an orchestral librarian. So kind of what was your path, um, musically speaking, and then what was your path to sort of deciding that you wanted to pursue this route? Yeah, well, every librarian uh, has a, a unique story as to how they got into orchestral librarianship. Um, but uh, we're, we're all first and foremost performers to begin with. So I myself started violin at four and piano at six and um, studied music in college at the University of Minnesota, where I'm from, and uh, started volunteering part-time in the libraries of the Minnesota Orchestra and St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. And it was there that I really began to uh, understand that this is a full-time career path and a viable career path for me. Um, I really clicked and found that I loved working with the paper and working with the music hands-on and um, got some help from my mentors in, in setting up some freelance work and some summer festival gigs and really took off from there. So. Um, I did a summer at the Aspen Music Festival and then got my first uh, real full-time position with the Phoenix Symphony and was there for two years and that led me to here in Pittsburgh. That's, that's awesome. So it was like pretty clear <laughs> almost yeah. like from that volunteer opportunity that this is the path that you wanted to pursue. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, yeah, my mentors played a, a pivotal role in, in guiding me and, and showing me what it takes and training me and um, really showed me that being a, an orchestra librarian is a, a pivotal role in the orchestra and it's a very rewarding role as well. So do you, you played the violin, do you miss, were you trying to, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying yeah. to ask is, were you pursuing some sort of orchestra related career and then you took the shift? And if so, do you like ever wish it had gone a different way? Or are you like, this is absolutely what I was meant to do? You know, obviously I love performing and, and playing um, violin, piano, and now, now I also play organ. Um, but I still play, I can still play on the side. And actually a lot of librarians, you know, 
aside from their full-time gig as a librarian, still play and perform on a regular basis. So um, I was, well, I actually started out at the University of Minnesota in environmental science and mm. was studying science and uh, really felt like music was where I wanted to be. At the time, it was during the Minnesota Orchestra lockout, and so it was sort of a it was sort of a dark time in the Twin Cities, music-wise, um, yeah. and so that's kind of what led me to science. But then, you know, music the music wing always kept uh, pulling me back, and so I finally switched to music. And while yeah, at times I considered performing, I I knew it wasn't really a, a viable career path for me. I hated playing auditions. I never was good at that. Um, I just liked playing for, for fun. So when I found that being a, a librarian was a full-time career path and that allowed me to be, you know, invested in the music with the orchestra, uh, with the sheet music, that's when I really decided this was, this was a job for me. Yeah. Then you're obviously still very intertwined with yeah. a symphony orchestra and music. So yeah. uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, I think it'd be good just to say, to sort of give a little bit of perspective, how many librarian jobs are there on average? Of course, it's going to vary, but mm -hmm. how many might be on average? How many do various orchestras carry? Because mm -hmm. I know that's going to be different based on size. Mm -hmm. And then I think we should just get into the circumstances of your audition with yeah. Pittsburgh yeah. and um, what that was like. Yeah. Um, most major orchestras have at least two, but most have three uh, permanent librarians. Um, Pittsburgh here, we have two, and then we also have some part-time help from members of the orchestra, actually, string players that help us with writing and bowings. Um, so we get a lot of help from them as well. Um, so yeah, two or three positions in most orchestras, and then some of the lower tier orchestras might might only be able to have one permanent librarian and maybe some part-time help as well. Um, but it's definitely uh, a job for uh, more than one person. Um, it's in the, in the top orchestras when we play 40 weeks, 42, sometimes, you know, over 42 week season. It's, it's a lot of music that we need to push out. And with classics concerts and pops and school time concerts and kids concerts and concerts in the park, there can be multiple programs a week. And so we're looking at literally in a season, I'm going through over 100,000 individual pages of music. So it's, it's a lot. Yeah. And I just realized, like, literally, as you were talking, if you're the only librarian, mm -hmm. Like you're not going to get any time off from no, that because no. someone's got to do that job. Yeah, and there's different facets. So, you know, often the principal librarian is involved in the, the bigger picture, making sure everything is running smoothly and making sure the music is arriving and departing on time, uh, procuring all of the rentals and, and uh, buying the proper music and contacting guest artists and conductors and making sure we have the right edition. And then uh, often the uh, associate or assistant principal librarians are more involved with the uh, part marking and, and making sure that uh, the part preparation is getting pushed out on time. 
So yeah. it's it's so, a but then when there's only one librarian, you know, they have to do it all, and that can right. be that can be an exhausting job. Yeah. So how do you like? I said we're gonna get into the audition. How do we test for this? You know, it seems yeah. so like. Like, I wonder, it's interesting to me how they would set up parameters to determine who is better at this yeah. in a, such a short amount of time. I'm really excited to hear from you how that looks. Yeah, it's, it's a really unique process. Um, most orchestras, because uh, librarians are, are technically musicians in the orchestra, members of the orchestra in most of the major orchestras, they have to try to audition them in a setting that is somewhat similar to instrumentalists and try to make it fair in that regard. Um, and so sometimes there's an anonymous round or two and then they'll do trial weeks. Um, so it can, be, it can be a really exhausting process and spanning months sometimes. Um, the tests, we often have to take a two, three, sometimes four hour test uh, and sometimes multiple of them for different rounds. And we basically have to know everything about music. <laughs> and we're not told what's on the test beforehand. You know, uh, so you know, that was always nice for me as a violinist when I was auditioning. I, I knew, okay, I have to prepare Don Juan and Mozart 39 and Brahms 4. But on a librarian audition, I don't know what's coming at me. And so it can be really hard to study um, but there are uh, similarities between tests and common themes and sort of categories that we can study for and uh, go from there. So um, I have a little cheat sheet for me on you know, the different parts of a test. So almost always there's going to be a section of musical terms and defining musical terms. Uh, so this can be anything as easy of, as consordino, you know, with mute, to Wiederholung, um, which is repeat in German. Um, and I've seen, you know, but every test I have probably at least 10 terms that I have no idea. I've never even seen them before. <laughs> and so it can be a bit daunting. Um, and then there's often, there's almost always a, part of the test where there's, we call it red flag pieces, or what do you need to know about these pieces? Um, for example, they might say, what do you need to know about Ravel's Bolero? Um, the answer is, well, the score actually calls for three saxophones, but it can be covered by two. And so that's obviously mm. important from a personnel standpoint, because we will alert personnel that, hey, we actually don't need three, we only need two. Um, you know, what do you need to know about Stravinsky's Firebird? Um, well, first of all, it's probably going to be the suite, and the suite has multiple versions, uh, 1911, 19, and 45. So we need to know what version we're doing. So it'll be things like that where, you know, when we see something on a program, when we get handed something from artistic, uh, we need to be able to know what's important about these pieces. Yeah, right, right. Um, so you're almost like a liaison in that sense between like interpreting, because they're not necessarily thinking, which version is this? We just want to play the Firebird. And you're right. thinking, we don't want this to be a disaster because, you know, the musicians have like five days to figure this thing out. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Um, there's always 
something about instrument names in different languages because you know almost always our parts in in the orchestra library are in Italian or German or French, and so we need to know. I study every single instrument name in those three languages before the test, and so everything from piccolo in Italian to knowing that timpani in German is pauken. So you know all of these things um, because when we're looking at the parts going through and cataloging, we need to be able to identify the instruments very quickly. All right, what's trumpet in all three languages? <laughs> trumpet, oh no, you're putting me on the spot. I am, I am. <laughs> <laughs> So in Italian, it's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, tromba. Sure, could be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I think in, in German and in French, it's pronounced trumpet, but different spellings. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. I actually don't know. <laughs> I see it on the top of the parts, but you know, I just like, and you just, you recognize it. I'm now. like, yeah. okay, that's the right part. Yeah. I don't even think about it. You know, I, I just think it's such an interesting, interesting difference is like, I know that it says, you know, tromba, T-R-O-M-B-A or whatever, yeah. right? One. And I'm like, cool, that's my part. That's I don't really part. think about it. Right. You don't think that it's Trump in Italian. You just know. Yeah. yeah. I just see it. And I'm like, okay, that's the part I'm supposed to play. But it's funny that, I mean, of course I, could find out very, very quickly, yes. but that's not like a prerequisite to me knowing how to do my yeah, job. Yeah, But exactly. you actually need to know that <laughs> to you do your to job. It, I think, yeah, on the spot, yeah. I think that's really interesting. For me, that's really interesting yeah. that you would know things about my job that I wouldn't really think about <laughs> knowing. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because it's like, it's almost second nature for you that tromba is, is recognized as trumpet. So, you know, I as a violinist even, sometimes I'm taking a test and it's like, what is violin in Italian? And I know it's violino, which with an it's violin with an O at the end. But then yeah. as I'm taking the test, it kind of sounds kind of funny. Is it really violino? That doesn't sound <laughs> that doesn't sound right. But I know it's right. I mean, we can also get into this later too. But the biggest reason I don't really consider it or think about it is because I'm under the assumption the correct part will yeah, be exactly. on my stand. Yeah. Right. I don't actually think about it because I'm like somebody else has thought about this and yep. I'm just going to show up and sit down and assume everything will be right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, well, we can get into that later. Yeah, okay. I think it'll be important <laughs> to talk about that. So you have these various tests, which seem to amount almost to like a drop the needle type, like you just need to kind of know everything about everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how does the process uh, continue from there? Are there other parts of it? Or like, how do they determine one out of, right. uh, out of many? It varies from orchestra to orchestra. Sometimes uh, in audition, they try to take place in an entire weekend, one weekend. Um, mine for Pittsburgh was drawn out over a few months uh, with different rounds. Um, there was sort of a preliminary, preliminary round for uh, vetting people, which is was sort of the equivalent of a tape, sending in a tape round for instrumentalists, um, basic library knowledge questions. And then the preliminary round was done um, over the phone, and that was anonymous, um, which again is pretty standard in our industry that there's, we try to do one or two rounds of anonymous testing. Um, and that was basically rapid fire question and answers. You either know it or you don't. Um, and then the semifinals was in person, a, a test of, uh, I think, two or three hours. Um, and then an interview with a committee as well. And um, important to note that a, a lot of librarian auditions, you know, who's deciding, it's, it's often not 
it's not treated the same as a staff position. And so there's uh, a committee made up of uh, musicians that are involved in the hiring process, and the music director is involved as well. Um, and so it's a com that was a combination of testing and interviews. Um, and uh, because interviews are important because, you know, ultimately, yeah, we need to know a lot about music, but it's also a very uh, personable job that we do. We, we are in contact with uh, conductors and guest artists and every musician in the orchestra. And so we need to be approachable and, and helpful and we need to work well with our colleagues. Um, and so that's really important to get a feel for uh, will this person fit in personality-wise with the orchestra. Um, and then the, the, the final round, um, which again was, was pretty standard, it was, was a in-person trial week, basically, a, a full week working with the orchestra as if you had the job and, and seeing how you fit in with the, the library and, and getting to know the copier, of course, and, and the setup in the library and how we catalog things and how we prepare parts and seeing if it's a good fit for both sides. So when we have trial weeks for musicians and whatnot, um, it's obviously about fit and it's yep. going to be about does the way you play generally fit? Um, right. And you can make mistakes, right? Yep. A mistake in a trial week or in a probationary period, but especially a trial week is not going to necessarily sink you. What's that feeling like for you during a trial week? Because a mistake is like, I feel like it is a bit different. Not mm -hmm. that you can't make mistakes, mm -hmm. But there's, at least from my perspective, there's this like harsh, like, can you do it or can you not, right? We yeah. have like very little, like, not patience, but almost very little patience for like, you know, we're over here doing this thing. All you have to do is just mark this thing up, you know? So like, what's that feeling like for you in the middle of a trial week of like, this is a job that I'm, I've found that I really love to mm -hmm. do. And I feel like this is what, and now I have this chance to do it. Yeah. Maybe I can make a mistake. Maybe I can't make a mistake. Like, kind of take us there with you during that trial week period. Yeah, the the pressure is on because you get there, and and the hard thing for for us is that every library is different. It's organized differently as far as where the parts are. You know, some libraries put holiday music in a certain part of their library, and some don't. Some have it categorized alphabetically by composer last name. Some have it categorized um, acquisition based, based on when they bought the music. And so you really have to learn all of these things in a very short amount of time. Uh, you have to learn the copier. Every copier is different and that's sort of our, our equivalent of an instrument. <laughs> so we have to learn how to scan and copy uh, correctly. And um, then you have to learn how the orchestra likes their parts marked. Some orchestras like big, big Boeings and some don't. Um, some are, are more involved with technology-based uh, library work, so uh, photoshopping and fixing page turns on a computer. And some, like, like me, I'm sort of an old-school librarian, and I, I physically cut and paste with scissors and, and tape for, for page turns. And um, so when you get there, you have to soak all of this information in very quickly. And, you know, thankfully, our colleagues are very understanding. And so um, they, will, they will tell you, 
they can tell you multiple times, you know, if you forget how to use a copier because that's it's human nature. Um, but yeah, the pressure is on and you have to do it. And, you know, when it's, you show up and the first day is a rehearsal and then at break, 20 musicians come up asking for things in the library, yeah. it's go time. And you can't, you can't pause and ask another person how to use a copier or where is this part or where is, uh, you know, where is the binding tape and, and you just have to do it. And because it's, it's real time now, now it's a real rehearsal with the music director and they're in a rush and they don't care if you're on a trial week, they need their part back. Yeah. Do you have a, a probationary period and tenure the same way that we do? Yeah. So it's the same, same sort of process here, um, under tenure review and, and voted by the committee. So yeah, same sort of process as any instrumentalist would go through. So is the feeling different? You know, if we're in the trial period and people know you're brand new and maybe you're gonna make a mistake, maybe you're, and you, to use your words, maybe forget how to use the copy or something yeah. like that. But now it's the probationary period. Now it's your job and now you're expected. Is it different? Does it feel different for you to be in that place of like, not that I can't make mistakes, but people are expecting me to actually figure this out and I have to figure it out. Does that feel different or are you just ready for it? You know, I think, yeah, people are probably a little bit more forgiving uh, at, at the earlier stages because you're just new, you're brand new learning how the library is organized, like I say. Um, but yeah, then there's definitely a, the expectation that, you know, now it's whether or not you remember, we have to we have standards and we have to push out the music in the, in the best possible way we can. And our you know, music director is here and it's real rehearsals, real concerts, and we have to do it. So um, you know, we have to learn all of these intricate things. And you know, I'm talking as small as how we name files, uh, PDF files on the computer because every orchestra does it differently. So we have to, soak all of this information in and try to be consistent as best as possible. So it's just, it's so similar yet so very different, right? Yeah. I mean, like the optics of it are structured so similarly to ours, but right. um, it's so different, but it makes sense. It makes sense why obviously it would look different and why you would be asked to do what you're to do. Yeah. Um, and congratulations on your, uh, audition you. win and good luck in the, the probationary yeah, period. Thanks. I'm sure you're working really hard and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, so with that sort of as a kind of okay segue, I think if you, I think the easiest way for us to understand what you guys do is if you just want to take us through like an average week, yeah. maybe not like a day, but sort of a week. Let's say it's like a, let's say it's a Masterworks or whatever you guys call Masterworks mm -hmm. week. So you have like three or maybe four concerts that week. And then maybe you have like one other thing or yeah. something like that. Just yeah. kind of take us through what it looks like, what your weekly yeah. schedule might look like. Yeah. And so what a lot of people don't realize is that our work for that week starts months uh, before, if not a year. Um, you know, we have to plan if there are rental pieces on that program, we need to plan for those rental programs to come at a, a certain point in time. You know, we want music at the hall probably eight weeks at least before the first rehearsal so that we have time to uh, prepare the music and circulate it to uh, our concert master and uh, for Boeing's and, 
and then the principals, the principal string players decide Boeing's based on the concert master and give it back to us, and then we have to get it into the parts. Um, you know, and we put in all the instrumentation, again, why we need to know instrument names. Uh, we put in the instrumentation in our uh, database, and that information goes off to people like the personnel manager knows who to hire, and uh, the stage crew knows uh, you know, how many trumpets they need to set up for, for this particular piece. Um, and so once all of that sort of planning stuff is done, and now we're getting, we, we want music out to musicians. Uh, most libraries try to aim for somewhere around two to four weeks before the first rehearsal, they want music out available to the rest of the orchestra to, to practice. Um, so what that involves is you know, putting in all the bowings for string players, uh, making sure there are no mistakes in the parts. Um, a lengthy process that sometimes we go through is called errata, which are uh, correcting mistakes in parts. Um, so sometimes these errors are uh, just publishing errors, a wrong note. Um, but sometimes it's a little bit more in depth. Um, and people would ask, well, why would there be you know, a wrong note in a Mozart symphony? Well, Mozart didn't write all that neat when he was writing by hand the night before his symphony was due. Um, <laughs> and so, and then in the 1700s, of course, it's hand copyists. And so copy after copy after copy, and there are going to be errors. And so then fast forward to today, musicologists discover, you know, maybe they discover a new score that's dated at an earlier time, and they decide that it's probably more true to what Mozart intended. And so they might say that, well, maybe this note is supposed to be this note, or maybe this uh, crescendo, Schubert was, was known for these huge uh, accent markings, but sometimes they were interpreted as crescendo markings. Mm. Um, and so sometimes musicologists come along and say, no, actually, this is supposed to be this. And uh, the publishers don't want to have to print a whole new set of parts to correct one mistake. And so we'll just do it by hand in our parts. Um, and so that's, that can take a long time, literally with whiteout and, and pen um, for every single part. Um, you know, fixing page turns. Um, maybe a clarinet player needs to have uh, a section of, of a piece transposed. Um, and uh, making sure we have the right additions and, and we have cuts. Uh, many pieces will have cuts. Um, sometimes we need to erase old cuts. Um, and, you know, making sure we're putting out fires before they even start. Sure, so yeah. we, we want to make sure everything goes as smoothly as possible. Um, and then after the concert is done, it's still not over. We, we go through and sometimes we erase cuts after a concert or, um, you know, we have to ship off rental music and um, put in timings for, for the performances, uh, for future records. Um, so it's a lengthy process involved in, in doing even one piece of music. Yeah. When I was younger, I played baseball and mm -hmm. I was a catcher. And so uh, I was told that uh, a, you, like you don't really notice a catcher until he's not doing his job. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. You don't notice a catcher until balls are flying past him or, or whatever the yeah. thing could be. And so really, really great catchers are ones that you don't ever notice because mm -hmm. they're just doing their job. And uh, I think 
an amount of that, it sounds like that's what a lot of your job is, is yes. if you do your job, nobody notices that you're there. Yep. And so I imagine it can be a fairly thankless profession, but not because people are inconsiderate, but rather we don't even think that like, oh, this, all of this work went into this. Yes, exactly. And I catch myself as when I play in orchestras all the time thinking that, you know, I, I get there and I expect the music to be on the stand and I sit down and play it. And then I, I think, oh, well, that took hours and hours of work, probably just for my single part to be prepared. And so, yeah, when we're doing our job right as librarians, um, you won't know that we're there. And, you know, we, we prefer that. <laughs> okay, so then the next obvious question would be, like, what motivates you, right? Usually it's, nice job, thank you, I appreciate all of this work. And maybe there are those people that are aware and they do say that, but... What's the thing that motivates you to do your job incredibly well at the highest level if it's not getting that kind of praise and because you're sort of in the background in that way? Mm -hmm. Well, it's a really unique position because every performance we get to see the result of our work and every rehearsal, actually. You know, when a, when a rehearsal goes smoothly and the conductor doesn't need to stop and ask, you know, for... Um, if there's a missing page in a score or, you know, we need to f fix this clarinet transposition or, or something, we know that we did our job correctly. And so that's always a good feeling. Um, but it's, it's also, in, in orchestras, musicians are very appreciative. And so that is uh, very rewarding to have um, the rest of the orchestra aware of what we do and thank us for what we do, and that's really important to us. So, you know, when I first, from, from day one, when I got to Pittsburgh, um, I noticed the, the amount of respect that the players had for um, the library here, and my colleague, Lisa Gedris, the principal librarian, um, who's phenomenal and, and, and everyone loves her, um, that, that respect shows me, shows me two things. One, that the orchestra is very appreciative. And that's always a great thing to be working for an or orchestra that appreciates the work that the library does. But it also shows me that the library is top notch. The library mm -hmm. is doing a good job and, and pushing out music in a timely manner and at a very high standard, high quality. Um, so whenever an orchestra is very appreciative of the library, it's, it's a good sign. What's the, the ratio or responsibility of, like you mentioned clarinets needing a transposition. Kathleen, my wife, plays principal clarinet here. Okay. And she's had that happen a few times uh -huh. where something was awkward. Um, what's the, the ratio of the librarian can notice something like this and say, hey, this might be, would you be interested in this? Or you're waiting for the, the player to come to you and ask for that. Right. Um, most requests like that, I would get from the player after, you know, maybe they took the music home and started practicing and noticed. I, as a string player, I, I can't tell when a, you know, for example, a clarinetist might want something transposed. Uh, I do know, like, for example, if I see a trombone part in alto clef, I, that might be a red flag, and I might ask the trombone, uh, the trombone section, hey, would you like this transposed into bass clef? Um, but again, that's something I would ask and 
not do beforehand. I don't want sure, to waste sure, time sure. doing it. So yeah, a lot of those requests come you know, after practicing. And, and we certainly get a lot of requests after the first rehearsal, um, bad page turns or you know, a page is falling out. Um, and can you, you know, make this part larger for, for me? Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's sort of both, but definitely um, uh, a relationship that involves uh, being approachable and, and being available and, and willing to help is, is the foundation for that. Yeah, sure. Um, we, you touched on this a bit already, but maybe just to expand upon it, what is it like for you then to love music and maybe not, I mean, you're involved with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra, obviously, even though you're not necessarily a, a musical performer, being mm -hmm. involved with an orchestra of that caliber must be pretty exciting. Like, what's it like for you to, to love music, to be intimately involved at that level and to have that be your career, at least for mm -hmm. the, yeah. Yeah, I mean, every, every day at work when I'm listening to rehearsals or concerts uh, backstage, it's, it's uh, a surreal feeling to, to think that I'm you know, part of uh, a world-class orchestra that is um, known uh, around the world and respected around the world. Um, to be part of you know, this, this great institution is uh, really a humbling experience and to be, be able to work with fantastic colleagues and, and people who are, you know, at the top of their uh, field. It's, it's really uh, a humbling experience and every day grateful to be a part of that. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm really yeah. happy for you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, so that feels like a good place to wrap it up. I don't know if you have any other words that you might want to share with us, but. No, I don't think so. Awesome. Well, if there's anybody out there that thinks to themselves, I am inspired by listening <laughs> to Grant and I would like to talk to him about being an orchestral librarian. Is there any way that somebody could get in touch with you to be able to do that or many, any other reason that they may want to talk to you? Uh, yeah, they can, they can reach out to me on, I'm on Facebook or send an email to you and you can forward it to me. I, I love talking about uh, the role as a librarian and, and what we do and I'd be happy to answer uh, more questions. Awesome. So if you do want to get in touch with me uh, for any reason, whether it's through sending a grant a message or just in general, you guys generally know what to do. But if not, for some reason, uh, you can contact me at thatsnotspit.com and then also at thatsnotspit on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode uh, and you wouldn't mind leaving a rating and a review on iTunes, that would be pretty cool. And also don't forget to share this on social media so other people can find it. I'd like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode. Quickly, I'd like to thank you again, Grant. I forgot to do that a second ago. <laughs> I appreciate you giving us <laughs> your time. Thanks for having me, of course. Yeah. And then most of all, uh, I'd like to thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Remember, stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>